Um, we're screwed, bro. <laughs> what? Yeah, we are what? screwed. We are screwed. I mean, beyond un- not fixable kind of like, we're screwed, bro. And, and and I'm not. I haven't lost my post meal stuff. I'm just saying, we're screwed. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know why. I hate the fact. I, I you remember in the guy in the Matrix, uh, and he says he goes and meets Mr. with Smith. Yeah, and he yeah. Matrix one, and he's like, "Thank you so much." He wants to get plugged back in. He's right. like, "Yeah, oh yeah, the guy that's like, I just 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 the steak. I need a steak. I need a steak. I, I know yeah. my mind. I know it's not real steak, and it doesn't matter. You know, I uh, ignorance is bliss, right? Just give it to me. Right. I'll, I'll I'll just yeah. give me the steak and plug me back in." That's such a well-written speech. Because it's real. Yeah. It's it's real. I mean, so here's what's happened. I've been sending. Did you get some of the stuff I sent you? Like, I've been sending you some texts um, uh, from the Moynihan report. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Was it you that told me about the Moynihan report originally? Uh, I don't. I don't think it was. I don't. I don't see anything. Oh, wait. What's the Daryl Brown the Moynihan report? No. Um. No. So. No. Oh, I sent you the twenty year revolution from Roosevelt to Eisenhower. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So. Anyway, this is. <laughs> Oh, what'd you send me on the Pope? Consumer materialism and the Christian hope. Fisher lectures, nineteen eighty-eight. What is that? Yeah, it's the Pope in nineteen eighty. It's the guy who eventually became the Pope. He wasn't the Pope yet, but he basically puts his finger on the that we have a, a cosmology problem, um, and he his evidence is that other eras didn't have drug problems. You don't get a drug problem unless people are dislodged from reality. A drug problem is, so it's a really cool argument where he just says, you know, in the middle ages, we believed we had a a place. Um, And, and now a people that believe they have no place are willing to numb themselves with drugs. So, but you don't numb yourself with drugs if you actually have hope that there is a uh, a place that you can go to find satisfaction okay so can we put my we're we're doomed on this corner just of the table right now just put it over there yeah and i want to speak on this a little bit because i this this was on my mind too and i'm going to talk to you about it the whole grammys you were out of town so you probably weren't paying attention but i'm sure it had to pop up in your somewhere it popped up a couple of people tagged me in things and said, Oh my gosh, did you see how nuts this is? Because they're like, Laura needs to succeed. <laughs> you've got literally, you've got this demonic stuff. And, you know, I've got, I've I have two, there are two, there are layers to my reaction to it. But yeah, me too. Go ahead. What's yours first? Yeah. What's yours first? You the go first. first. The first one was, well, I remember Marilyn Manson, right? I remember. Facts. This is not the first time that they have used Satanism for marketing purposes. You have the, the Grammys becoming completely irrelevant. Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. 
what's going on. It's become just um, musician musicians basically giving awards to other musicians. Elite so, night for elites. Right. Yeah. And everybody's starting to realize that and not care. And you all of a sudden it's trending again on Twitter, right? Because of this, but here's what was crazy, right? So Oscars are trending on Twitter. I had to get down to the 2000th text before I found anything about the Sam Smith. Um, and you know, the, the like invocation of the devil stuff, right? Like you're a long way. That's a long ways in. Um, so even though it's trending on Twitter, the, they're still trying to suppress it. <laughs> and I, it, I, it was, you know, I, it was like, you know, um, I saw Elon Musk be. saying, yeah. saying we, he said, I still haven't gotten to the bottom of the algorithm. We'll probably have right. to replace it because it's, yeah. it's so, um, it's just so nefarious. Yeah. Like, I know he was talking about the of, blue checks. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, so the owner of Twitter is saying, man, this is one incredibly complex algorithm that has been nudged into further and further nefarious ends. And the best thing we can do is probably just pull it out and put a new algorithm in that really has to do with engagement and not pushing an agenda. But you can see like when I, when I just, when I, just the people I follow, they're posting, it's every, it's everything the um in about the grammys the p as soon as i click on oh the grammys are trending there's 4500 posts mentioning the grammys and you're 2000 in before you find anything about that so they're using so i have the, so the first layer is man this is this is an old marketing tactic and it's working again and that that was my first response the but then you watch the actual video and you're like but this is a new level of purposeful referencings of satan <laughs> what were your thoughts Marilyn Manson was pretty bad he was so i mean which new level Marilyn Manson was doing the trans thing before anybody ever thought to do it. He, you know, he was already ahead of this in so many ways. Right. Um, the devil stuff that he was, I mean, I had, I'm not seeing anything new that he hasn't done already. So I kind of, well, I think you had this time around, you have multiple, um, multiple people doing it at once. So that's yeah, part of it. That's uh, that's what I was gonna say. I think that everybody's become Marilyn Manson is the thing. Yeah, Not that there's anything right. new about the the process, is that it's all become Marilyn Manson, which is I don't think I think that's go ahead. What were you gonna say? And then you had CBS's tweet of it saying we got Sam Smith coming out, let's get ready to worship. Um yep. which before it was you had the the networks all at least pretending Hey, we didn't like that either. That was, you know, um, you don't, you didn't have the networks saying, "Hey, we're we're in on this." Um, the that so 
and knowing they're going to get away with it, right? That whoever is in charge of the CBS Twitter account, uh, which is probably some, you know, 19 year old intern, <laughs> whoever's in charge of it, they, uh, they leaned into it. That is, that is the thing that I saw that I thought that's new. That's different. It used to be that the, inst- that this was an anti-institutional move and all of the institution and individuals flocked to it, but the institutions all backed away. CBS fully leaned in. Um, that's part of that's on. part of that's part of why I the other conversations on the edge of the table that we'll get to t- about us being screwed because that comes all into it. The other I'm with you on everything. The other thing that the part for me that really bothered me was that there was a time that elites or you know the um aristoc- aristocracy or whoever was in in charge that those higher um i think elites would be the right name for them who had power had authority or who had um some sort of influence and culture were always the ones who would push against the system for the sake of the people so elites weren't bad they didn't have to be bad they were bad depending on how they acted the idea of being an elite was like being a, a knight, you know, or being someone who had a high moral foundation and ground that had authority. In the pos- oh, you're grabbing books. We're hitting something. We're well, hitting no, something. no, no. I just, I'm having my my camera angle is getting. Did funky. you just I'm prop up your camera angle with the book? Shame on you. <laughs> it better be a Joe Olstein book. I promise you, it better be. It's just a thesaurus. <laughs> uh, okay, well, in that case. Um, but when I saw this at the end of the performance with Sam Smith, it said produced by Pfizer. That was sponsored. So, that, that made me happy. That was, I was like, yeah, ah. right. <laughs> and so what used to be, I, I didn't see it so much as a problem with the stuff that's happening on the stage. I know what those folks are doing. Those folks are trying to invoke some sort of passion from their audience because their audience is numb. Right. And yes. so they they do the shocking thing in order to get this is part of what bothered me about this is that we are the ones who made that popular. Everybody right. shared what Sam Smith did. Everybody shared the event because nobody else who was there was going to make it popular. Right? We made yeah. it popular because we shared it. And that, they know just like that. Marilyn Manson. That, the Just same like Marilyn Manson. With Marilyn Manson, the same thing happened with uh, uh, Public Enemy with their yeah. uh, F the Police. Yep. Yeah. And so what artists have done, artists know, and so this is where it gets back to me. I think that artists know now that if they write good music and, per- and work hard to produce good art, that the value of it is zero to the public and to the culture. Right. Because they're dropping it into a frozen wasteland of souls. Exactly. That's exactly right. And because so then the artist doesn't work nearly as hard to give the effort to produce something and labor over something and sweat over it and give his life over it so that when he comes out, his soul is wrapped inside of the plastic that's on the CD and intertwined inside of the recording that is at the studio. When you get it, you're hearing a part of them communicate about life, about uh, humanity, uh, a part of they're trying to bring souls with them and attach to another person's soul. And so 
there isn't anything in the audience anymore that wants that kind of or values that type of thing. It's not that they don't want it. They don't value it in the same way. And so what they have to do now in order to be able to get the attention and be able to even get the sales is they have to use shock values, shock and awe in order to get people to pay attention. I bet you the streams of that song went up drastically over that because everybody's like, well, what are the lyrics? What's going on? And it's like, it doesn't matter if you liked it it or not. It works. Yeah. And it was NWA. I misspoke, not Public Enemy. Public Enemy. First off, I got to correct. But myself. I was thinking when you said NWA, uh, when you said NWA, uh, you said Public, uh, Public Enemy. I was thinking like they did yeah, have they something did. about police, no. but it wasn't that. No, that was that was not right. Yeah, that was it. Was the uh, it was the NWA where they they purposefully then they they released it at a spot where they knew they would get arrested. <laughs> yeah, really smart. Yep. Right. Yeah. They, you, but but it is. Um, so there's the marketing aspect of it, but the problem is that kind of marketing works in this kind of environment. Right. And that's what I mean. The, if we want the marketing to quit working and we got to change the environment, but you don't change the environment. Like you, there's not a switch. It's not a mechanical thing where you say, Oh, we can go in and change the environment. And this is why I sent you that. Um, it, it's the, it's the, that article where he was saying, um, the drug war doesn't work. The reason the drug war doesn't work is because this is a cosmological theological problem that we have. The, 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 the fact that everybody's looking around and saying like, is there a pill? Is there a, can I smoke something? Can I snort something? Like what can change my relationship to the world? Because right now I'm floating detached from it. It's the mechanistic thinking about there has to yeah. be just this thing I can insert inside of this yeah. machine that makes it work, right? Right. That make that that or that it meets at least makes it tolerable to be a, in this machine, right? So what what and that is and so you have and what um what the uh, Ratzinger is, is points to is he points to C.S. Lewis and said you know so he. He, so he's the only pope that's ever been removed. He he also is the the first pope after the um, after the Reformation to say, you know, we probably should have listened to Martin Luther about justification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get this guy out of here. We want him yeah. gone ASAP. Um, so he and then he also um, he put his finger on the fact that uh, modernity as a whole. Um, but communism in particular is destructive to the human society and destructive to the human soul. Right. So he, um, communism? But he, you know, yeah. Right. So he got, and so he got removed because, but he pointed out that it's a cosmo- cosmological problem. Right. So he was, uh, so he gets removed and basically is, he goes into his prayer cave for the rest of his life. He comes out one time to say, just want to come out really quick because the spirit told me to make sure you guys all know not to listen to the current Pope. And then he dies. <laughs> so I, he, that you, you, we haven't, there hasn't ever been anything like that. You don't talk about him in the papacy, um, you know, where he was saying he was trying to open up conversation between Protestants and Catholics specifically to discuss justification because he, he thought Luther was wrong on ecclesiology, but he thought, he said, I think he's right on justification. He, you know, and then that's when basically he was dethroned. Um, 
So, so you have this really strange um, open door opportunity, um, f- I think, um, between Protestants and Catholics to actually have a substantive discussion that is shut down by the systems, you know, that, um, but he's right that justification by faith and that a cosmology in which justification by faith makes sense doesn't, when you had that, you didn't have drug problems, even when the culture itself wasn't particularly Christian. Right. right? Because you didn't have the numb, the numbness that comes with modernity. Modernity has, it's been like, um, you know, sleeping pills. Everybody's wandering around on sleeping pills. Um, the, I think the greatest, the greatest poem of the 20th century about the 20th century was called the wasteland by T.S. Eliot. And it's just a poem about the, the, um, what modernity has done to humanity, right? That it's just completely dehumanized everything. Um, and it was shocking at the time because everybody was like, oh my gosh, he's put his finger on, he's put his finger on it, but they still had the ability to take in poetry, but he was now, we don't even really have the ability to take in poetry. So we need, we, we need that shock to the system, but, um, but in the opposite direction somehow, right? The, like, well, how, how do you get, so, you know, getting the, this is why I wanted us to read the art, the Ars Poetica by Horace, because it's all about what, um, how, how do art and virtue, uh, how can virtue be, be communicated by art? That's the, that's what the, the Horace is that on our book list? It is. That's on the book list. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I think that's the question. We see that art can be deforming in virtue, in terms of virtue, um, or that it can bring out the worst parts of us. You know, we, we see that. We don't have anybody really fighting back um, by saying, what, what would it look like for... How, how has the wisdom of the ages taught us that virtue is communicated by art, that virtue is encouraged by art. What is it? How do, how does that happen? And that's what Horace was writing about or what he was trying to explain um, to these, this young man that says he wants to become a poet. He's like, well, let me tell you, mm-hmm. if you're going to become a poet, your job is to, um, you're, you're the, a, a good poet is one who encourages virtue, but how does that work? You can't just say this is virtue, that is virtue, this is virtue, that is virtue. You have to actually communicate it in such a way that people want to take in the teaching because they're enjoying it. Right? That that the art itself um, connects with their humanity, and then then you can teach them virtue. Um, but said you can use art in a way that doesn't teach them any virtue and they enjoy it, but that's not of any use to anyone. You, um, what does it look like? That's where to we're, at. we're making art right it, now. Right. That's where that's exactly. And so a, and uh, in most Christian art is such poor quality art. It doesn't, it, it doesn't connect the humanity of the artist to the humanity 
of the one receiving the art or it doesn't serve the one receiving the art in a human way because it's the craft isn't good. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's just the craft. I don't think, for instance, here, here's, um, I don't think we know what virtue is or how to point to it. If, I mean, so my daughter doesn't communicate very well, but she does communicate in a way that I can see and observe the things that she is trying to communicate. She's like, daddy water okay now that's not poetry but i can get the girl some water she can be satisfied through drinking yeah but if she doesn't know what it is to ask for then i don't ever get a chance to help her get the thing that she needs and we don't have a way to communicate so i i don't think we know what virtue is that's totally true we don't know what virtue is and we are too gnostic to learn the craft because craft is something that you develop historically, right? It's not, it's not a set of ideas. It's so don't you have to have virtue to even develop the craft though? You you do. Yeah. So there's two, you have to have the virtue, but you can have the virtue and not know it. So, you know, you meet people that they work really, really, really hard. And then what they want to do is they want to say, well, I'm just a genius. And the, the labor is not important. They don't realize they've got a virtue, right? So Interesting. Um, you, you can have the virtue without knowing it, what the virtue Define is. Virtue. Well, so virtue is knowing, uh, is doing right in the, in the, in knowing what is right and then doing what is right in particular situations. So being able to identify mm. the situation you're in, know what's right and do what's right. So yeah, we don't have um, that. It's similar, <laughs> yeah, we don't. It's similar to wisdom. It's, it's like the moral. It's it's all the moral parts of wisdom. So because wisdom is the ability to live well in the world God made. So there's a lot of aspects of wisdom that aren't necessarily a moral question. Like, should you make sure to change the oil in your car every five thousand miles? Like you should. That's that's wise in dealing with the way that God made the world and, you know, dealing with your dealing with your donkey well or your, your um, car well. And, you know, there's, um, but you can have somebody who is immoral who takes really good care of their car and you don't say, right. well, at least he takes good care of his car. Right. Cause it's not a moral, that's not a moral question. Virtue is when you take all the aspects of wisdom that have to do with morality, um, right and wrong and say, um, this is this is uh, in a situation involving right and wrong, knowing what is the right what is right in that situation, and then being able to do it is being virtuous. Boy, that's that's going to take a lot of stuff to develop virtue. I guess it's going to take a lot of time to develop that because you need to know things. You need to be able to understand what is right and wrong. You're gonna, you know, the moral backing is, you know. It's kind of where, so the, I'm going to bring the stuff that's on the side of the table and bring it into the conversation. And I think this is a good place to do it. The more that I've been reading, I've been reading the Moynihan Report that was delivered in 1965 of the Negro family, the collapse of the Negro family. Uh, he wrote that for um, Johnson's administration, I believe. Okay. Um, and then I went, and so I've been going back. Egalitarianism has been since last year, something that's really, I've, understood that's kind of the core problem that we have but as i'm reading rothbard rothbarn on egalitarianism 
he points me to another book, the one that I sent you, where he starts talking about communism and the infiltration of communism in American society underneath um, Roosevelt. Right. And, and Jason, I, we had, uh, what's his name? Frank Furter. Frank Furter, who was a Supreme Court justice, was a communist and he taught at Harvard Law School. And he's getting people from Harvard to come inside the government. And the whole New Deal, the New Deal is all a way for communists to come into American society and control it through labor unions. Yep. And I'm like, what just. How did there was they had so many communists inside of the American government that when they were recruiting, when certain factions were recruiting for communists, they were bumping into other people that were already a part of another faction of communism inside the American government. It's it, it's really it's crazy. We were so close to becoming the USSR. I mean, it's it's mind blowing. And Roosevelt. You know, there's a line in there that said Roosevelt didn't. He wasn't a communist. He didn't care so much about communism or anything else. He only cared about really being elected again. He and there's a yeah. line in there that said, that was like, if Roosevelt thought that uh, cannibalism would get him new votes, he would have plumped <laughs> up a missionary in the back of the White House. <laughs> that's a good line, right? but yeah, it's totally true. Roosevelt, he was, he wanted to stay at the top of the heap. Period. Third time president, yeah, that, make yeah, I get it. Yeah. And um, what's but what's amazing is the it's the same people infiltrating uh, the so the you have the the same people that are praising the Russian Revolution praising the Communist Revolution they're out there you know really hustling um, especially with the labor unions but they they're they are Machiavellians to the core and so they go to the highest power they. The highest power they can get to and gather as much power there and that is um and that really um i mean if it weren't for if it weren't for um well what the best oh where's that book the best book on it um that you'll read that gives you the details is called um are you talking about um it's called black here it is blacklisted by history it's hiding behind my oh i have that audio book it's um, hiding behind my hellboy um yeah blacklisted by history so and it's just about senator joe mccarthy basically i mean what happens is the u the ussr becomes our ally to to defeat the nazis because the nazis attack the ussr the nazi the the ussr would have left the nazis alone because they were nationalists and the ussr is internationalist um so if you get some international if you get some national socialism um it's easier to take over national socialism <coughs> uh and be able to just internationalize it uh but Hitler's running out of gold and the biggest gold, the biggest closest gold deposit is in Russia. So he just turns his forces North and charges into Russia in the winter 
and is completely destroyed um, that direction. And uh, so there's a, some the foolishness of Hitler, but it's also the fact that socialism requires theft. <laughs> and like it requires mm. theft. And who are you going to rob from? Well, the the Russians had the largest deposit of gold. So and it, easier, and it seemed like an easier target because they wouldn't they're not yep. suspecting him. We're all together right. on this, right? And so, so we, got, we um and it had worked in France. Um it had worked because they had the the super speed tanks. Nobody else yeah. had them. You had uh they were able to just basically roll in, run out do an end run around uh you know World War One, everybody made stationary blockades. Um and then fought between from between blockade to blockade until one of them won. Well, the um, the Russians had, I mean, the the Germans had built high speed tanks, and so they were able to just get in their tanks and do an end run around the blockade, and then trap the army between their own blockade and the tanks. You need um, blockade with the tank, yeah, yeah. So they so um, it had worked, and and. Russia still had all of the blockades. What Hitler didn't take into account was the Russian winter um, and then the yep. size of the population, right? So, um, and the willingness of the USSR to just throw people at them and um, trained, untrained, everything, throw people at them. Um, and, you know, the Russians are famous for putting guns behind their own army. Um, you can either take a chance and hope and try to survive charging against the other army, or you can guarantee your death by retreating. Um, so, but that made the USSR our allies. What we did um, historically is we took in allies and we, we took people, we, you know, we, we grabbed um, people from our allies and put them into our governmental system so that the, we could communicate easily. What we didn't understand was that the communists were, they were co-belligerents, not allies. We happen to have mm. the same enemy, but we, they still viewed us as an enemy. We stopped viewing them as an enemy for the purposes of the war. And then we had victory together and we said, hooray. Now we, now we and our allies have defeated. And they said, now we have all sorts of spies embedded throughout the U.S. Um, and then uh, you also had a severe breakdown. We didn't know how to, between World War One and World War Two, we didn't know how to reintegrate soldiers. Um, and that led to a yeah, generation that had been detached from their parents. Um, the communism builds on rivalry, especially intergenerational rivalry they stole from you now go take mm. it back. We're going to go, we're going to get it back for you. Um, that it's, it, it's envy and rivalry. And you had the breakdown of the family because of the lack of reintegration of all those fathers. And then, so that left us really open to communism. Um, and then we, they were so quote unquote, so far away that we didn't, we didn't believe that there would actually be, a communist infiltration um, because it's hard because we didn't do that sort of thing. Right. Um, 
America historically this, has been non-interventionist. We didn't. Right. Uh, we didn't. So now we're not. Right now, our CIA and is we are no longer a non-interventionist country. We fund all sorts of terrible stuff through our attempt to intervene. And um, I mean, you, you, I think that you have to embrace a um, the communist worldview in order to be able to do that. Right. Like if you, you have to, so here, in, this is a, what are you going to say? I want to read this quote from Chambers. Um, oh, Whitt- Whitaker Chambers. Yeah. Yeah. Read that uh, one. Cause there was a backlash from communists into conservatism in the forties. That's really important in terms of the overall, dis- what ended up being the destruction of conservatism. So, but Whitaker yeah, Chambers. That- This is from his book, Witness. This is another book that I recommend, too. But Chambers relates that all the New Dealers he knew were communists or near communists who regarded the New Deal as an instrument for gaining their revolutionary ends and not as not as in the end of itself. For some time, Chambers himself thought of the New Deal as a benevolent reform movement. But he later realized, he recalls, that it was a genuine revolution whose deepest purpose was not simply reform within the existing traditions, but a basic change in social and above all power relations within the nation. It was a revolution by bookkeeping and lawmaking rather than violence, but a revolution is always an unfair, uh, is always an affair of force. However, the force may disguise itself. Bruh. It's benevolence. Yeah. It, but it, it it was meaning, meaning that it was a gathering of power, right? Um, you ended up with a federal government doing things that it didn't do before. Right. So and everything, everything we have now is new deal based. Everything is oh, new yeah, deal based. Everything. And, and I, um, you actually can't exist in the business world without, running up against it like it's 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 impossible because it is now so significantly embedded into the irs's systems that we are new a new deal people now and so many conservatives are just arguing that we go back to it (laughs) they're not arguing that we like that they think of it now as the tradition that we are trying to conserve the American way that we do things. But why is the federal government spend, spending all this wasteful money on these programs over here? Can't we get back to just building infrastructure like we usually do? <laughs> well, no, that's actually the new deal. That that's is actually the new deal. <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's actually the, uh, that's actually the problem, right? That's the root. That's how it got in. Um, that's, that's how this, fascist um communist mentality got into our federal system so in, i into the machinery i so i've been reading this book by mari Rothburn on its egalitarianism and the revolt against nature and so in this book he talks about the idea that so this is going right along with what you're saying all of it is we, we look at the american titans you know ford um carnegie uh rockefeller and we look at that as the central point of capitalism and america's like wow that was it the way that rothburn talks about this is that we think that it was the progressives 
ultimately that brought in this kind of um, communist attitude into society. But really, it was the business and titans who did. So right. because of the competitiveness and the capital, the capitalism in the market that was there, they were all afraid of the competition that would actually come, which is why you had them trying to buy out presidents and do other things because they were really trying to control the market of um, capitalism. And they were like, wait, we can actually get somebody else opens up a business. There's real competition here. They could take us out. And so what they ultimately did, our titans, our big business, Carnegie and those guys, went to the federal government under regulations that they could manage and control for the purpose of controlling the market. Yeah. And so to keep, Robert, to keep the competition out, keep the competition out, not to be under legislation so that they can be fair about employment. That wasn't what it was. It was about keeping everybody else from being able to be in the competition. Uh, there's Carnegie that says, look, man, regardless of how you feel about it, the money is safe, whether or not the government has it or I have like the, the money is safe. I got the money. It, even though that they might regulate it, it's still mine. So they're going to yeah. win one way or the other. They just don't have to have competition in it. And that cycle just keeps going over and over again. Yeah. And so. Um, and then they say, you know what we need? We need an environmental protection agency so that right. we can. And so they establish things like the EPA yeah. uh, as a way of making it too expensive for anybody coming in to become a competitor right so you can through the epa you can force a an upgrade you know a a you know every two years you have to upgrade all of the pumps at the gas station yep. well a mom and pop shop can't do that uh, nope. um, they can't afford to drop 20 grand 30 grand 40 grand on a new pump every couple of years conoco can because right. they they control things from the pump to the to you know, fr from the the ground to the pump from the drill to the pump um so they can afford that and it benefits them for the epa to pass that sort of legislation um because then they can go to the mom and pop shop and say well hey we'll buy you out and they don't have to build the infrastructure somebody else builds the infrastructure and loses money and they they gain it and it benefits the federal government because now you've only got a handful of corporations to control you don't have anybody that is not under your control so then Rothbard makes the argument that there's no monopoly in a truly capitalistic market. The monopoly comes in when you have the government that starts making these regulations that keep certain people out of it. Now you have a monopoly. So now the mom and pop store, how do they compete in this when the government has control? So you got fascism at the highest level. Yeah. Right. You, I remember you right. said this before. You said everything is fascism now. Like it's just, it's just left fascism or right fascism, but everything is fascism everything now. Is fascism, and I was, yeah. I didn't understand that. I was like, okay, but it really, really is until you remove all the regulations and the red tape and the liars. Oh, how are we conserve? How we take care of the, 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 how are what we manage taking care of the planet and people not over, uh, uh, steamrolling others out of the business and managing the, um, the health of people just not taking advantage of the land, right? And just abusing it. Well, they need it. They right. need it to work for them. They need it so that they can have, it worked the other way around where you have um, the farmers who were told, hey, kill all these pigs. We'll give you money for them, right? Like th this yeah. literally we'll, happened. We'll you know? pay you to dump all of the milk. 
Right. Because milk is too affordable. We need milk to be more expensive. And so we're going to, the government can pay people to burn their grain, dump the milk because they try, they're trying to control the price, not by keeping it down. They're trying right. to control the price by keeping it up. Right. They want the, they want the price up because they, they're trying to um, keep, keep the dollar from deflating to a natural level because they are because their whole plan is to keep inflating the dollar um, as a way of taking the value from people that have less and giving it to to people that have more um, and for the government's control. I mean, inflation is a is not unavoidable. Inflation benefits some people over against others. And the so the people in charge, if it's going to benefit them, then they want to control it and inflate it. So if you if you can get milk for 75 cents a gallon, um, then the dollar the value of the dollar goes up rather than down. And that doesn't benefit fascists. So, Jason, this is the crazy thing. I'm not as worried about the World Economic Forum anymore as I am about my own American government. Right? Like that is when I started reading this, I'm thinking, so did we ever? Well, yeah. Did we ever? I don't know if we ever with with all the, the so the New Deal, I'm getting here because I'm watching how certain economic structures have destroyed the black family, right? So I'm looking at the Moynihan report. He picks up on this in 1965 and says, whoa, the black family is collapsing in America in the ghettos. Something is going on. It's broken here and it's going to happen to the rest of American society if we don't if we don't figure this out and he realizes the home is the biggest problem. Well, Charles Murray is already ahead of this. You know, he's seeing the same thing happen in American society as well. Um, and it's like how, how we're really losing the war or something like how we're really losing it. The war that we're really losing. I'll have to find the exact title. So he's writing about this a while ago as well. I haven't, and, I haven't read that one. Charles Murray, uh, Murray is brilliant. Uh, this one is called, I'll find it uh, and give it to you exact title. Cause it's kind of important. So, oh, I got the audible audio book of it. A oh, losing ground. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't read that one. I think that's Murray. Let me I see. I have an audible credit too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Charles Murray, losing ground. American social policy from 1950 to 1980. So he's going to hit that too. So. So, Jason, here's my question. Did we ever clean the house? Because if you have all these New Deal social policies that come in, I mean, every sort of policy, they had all sorts of new groups over farmers, over worker labor unions. They, I mean, these communists came in and took over labor unions like people were running trying to find a labor union that wasn't communist and they couldn't find one. They had to create new unions and then communists came in and took over those unions. Um, so. With all these new entities that had developed out of the New Deal with the American government that were backfilled with communists, did we actually get the communists out or did we actually people change the idea of because remember, communism is bad. Nobody wanted to be a communist, but we changed the American social structure to where it became an an American idea, not communism. Right. Uh, But it was absolutely communism. And I just don't know if we ever got all of them out of there. 
but it's the what happened was in the 40s the you had two things happen kind of simultaneously so in the late 40s going into the 50s you had a collapse within the communist party and a whole bunch true, of communists true. switched to conservatives whitaker chambers is one of them but he actually became a christian there's a difference between becoming a conservative and becoming a christian facts they didn't they didn't all become christians right and um whitaker chambers is he his conversion was away from a machiavellian worldview right Mm. so a lot of the communists that left communism and joined the conservative party remained remained Machiavellians, but they just became conservative. Same, same cosmology, same understanding of power, different goals. The um, so that happened. There's a really great book. It's just called the Machiavellians, and it's about the communists leaving and becoming conservatives in the 40s and 50s, <laughs> and bringing Machiavellian understanding, a Machiavellian understanding with them into the conservative movements of America. It's tragic and eye-opening. And this guy's saying it's a good thing. So that's one of the things that's interesting is he's saying the Machiavellians saved the conservative party because they are the ones that brought a reality, uh, a reality embracing, um, a, a reality embracing, politic real it's called real politic um they brought that into the conservative party and so then the conservative party finally started understanding that you have to actually play the game according to the rules uh to win and so the machiavellian takeover of the conservative party that happened in the 50s and the 60s is a really important thing to understand but the other thing that happened was uh, you had Senator McCarthy, who was a man of incredible um, backbone. He was basically willing to sacrifice his own political career to dislodge as many communists as he could. And he did. At the highest levels, there were communists, and he was able to identify them. Um, and, and then through... Um, so he was able to identify them through a couple of ways. The Verona project had broken the code of that the U S of the USSR's radio code. And so mm-hmm. but they didn't tell anybody. So he, he was actually receiving and knowing who was a real communist who had what orders and what, but he had to pretend that they didn't have the, that information. And so he had to basically go through, um, a whole theatrical process to act to make it look like he was stumbling upon these communists on accident. Um, it's really, and, and he, it destroyed his own political career. Um, but he was willing to do it because he knew it was the right thing to do. Why did it destroy so, his career? Because people thought he was doing witch hunts or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so he, they, they call it the red scare, witch hunts, uh, you know, banana trials they'd bring people in and say you were in this meeting for communists who else was in the meeting with you and they knew exactly who was in the meeting they were just trying to make it look like they publicly stumbled upon this person and so then once they got that person named then they would bring him in 
say, here's the evidence that they're a communist, lay it out. And almost every single time the person just quit their job and walked away. Right. There were a couple of people that they were able to prove, look, here's the evidence. And Whitaker Chambers was a big part of that. Here is a, a somebody that is willing to go on the record and say, this person is actively trying to undermine the United States and they put them in jail. But there's only a couple people. Most people, they quit their jobs and immediately got hired in Ivy League universities. Oh! And right, so they went to Harvard, they went to uh, Yale, they went to uh, these Ivy League universities and they trained up the next generation of lawyers. They trained up the next generation of teachers. Um, and oh! And so that's why you have this stalled moment that communism suddenly shows back up in force um, it, again in the 80s and 90s. Um, but it's because it all of the all of off. these communist spies went to the universities and said, "Just give us another generation or two. Uh, so the that's. So but Jason, did Go we ahead. if just because you identify the communists and you get you get a cleaning of the house, um, you know, this sounds like the you know, Leviticus and <laughs> where it's like, hey, uh, you come in, you clean the house, but if you don't fill it, then you get seven more. Yeah. Um and, and right. you see Jesus doing that, but in the temple as well. But um uh, the if just because you clean the house doesn't mean that you got everybody. And it doesn't mean that because the institutions were created by the communists in order to be able to operate, even if they weren't there. So no one destroyed any of the institutions. Well, I think, though, it's because that of that Machiavellian view of the conservatives. You, you just you didn't you cleaned the power structures. You didn't clean the house. Mm. Right. So oh. they said we got them out of the power structures in their mind. Who ha who has the power to in to affect reality? They said we've got them out of that, those positions. It, we'll just put them where they don't have any power as professors in universities, right? They because they thought they had cleaned the house. They actually what they we... did is they said it's like saying, "Well, we got rid of the communist. Instead, we." You know, there he's he's no longer running our uh, he he's no longer um, you know running the the um, economic he he's he doesn't have the checkbook anymore. Instead, he's raising the kids, so we we're safe now. <laughs> or it, or or it's like what we do now. We kind of do that. It's like, well, we got rid of the bad woman pastor, but this new woman pastor is actually extremely <laughs> biblical, <laughs> right? Where you don't actually um, you you haven't actually said you haven't actually made a change. All you've done is delayed, um, delayed the inevitable at that point. This is and Lord of the Rings, bro. It is. This is Lord of the Rings. Like this is token. It's like, <laughs> you got to destroy the ring, my guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to destroy the ring. And I, and I think that what you have, um, I mean, what we're, what we're seeing now is, um, you know, if you, if, it's like saying, um, oh, man, I've got an infection. And so you put a Band-Aid on it 
and the skin starts to heal, but you don't actually get rid of the infection. And so it gets into the blood. And then next thing you know, you've got an infection everywhere in the whole body. That's what happened right. with it. And it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's all the way down at the most basic levels of the way we approach everything, right? It's a cosmological and a metaphysical, um, it's been institutionalized. It's a cosmology and a metaphysic that has been institutionalized, um, which is why you've got to stay that we, this begins with how we educate our kids. If we're not, if we don't start by saying we got to fix the way we are educating our kids, um, my kids, right. You not like all the kids in the whole city. You, you don't have access to all of that yet. How am I raising my kids to grow up and um, with an understanding of reality, right? Doesn't um, w- that says I actually believe in reality. I, um, I am purposefully living in reality uh, rather than you know uh, what we have, um, what is being told to people right that 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 they can control reality um but they rather than gratefully embracing and receiving reality as a gift which this is if you can have a communistic egalitarian concept and idea of the world which is what this is then you think that because communism its idea is to remake a human it's to yes. social engineer a different type of being out of a human. Um, and it's all trying to get back to the garden, honestly, without God, without Christ, right? That's what they're trying to do. And so yep. re-engineering a human being so that you can get the sin out of him so that he doesn't sin anymore. So you can have this utopia. And that's just like, that's just not, you don't do this without Christ. You have to have Christ to do this, but they're trying to trying to do this anyway. But the, when you, can see that you can reshape you think you can reshape reality by the way you have the government and all the power accumulated now you can see why they can reshape the idea of what is a man and what is a woman right so because they're yeah you have to you have to completely reach so this isn't we we're looking so close like these are the things that are directly in front of us that's caused this but there's something else that's way back way 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 back here and the things that we need, and the reason I'm understanding this is, okay, so then how do you fight? If you know that the federal government is controlling and the communist idea is controlling through the New Deal and all of the different um, entities and bureaucracy that was puffed up and created because of this, is controlling all the way down to your farming and your food and everything is fascism, what do you do? You, like you buy a cow? You, you buy chickens? <laughs> how do you – there has to be a way to break – because. You got to break the system. Like you got to starve the system out from needing it. Like if, if black people just were to stay married and would not take federal aid, that's how they were overcoming the government before the new deal. And some of them yeah. were winning after actually, if you look yeah, at, I mean, um, that's black wall street. I, I think that's the difficulty. Cause you look at black wall street and you, and you say, well, that's what you do. But then what do you do? And then they come in and burn it down. Right. That's the, that's always, <laughs> that's, that's, always, that's always the problem, right? Like, and they um, will. I, I think they they absolutely will. And so the and this is the the par- the problem um, 
I, I work at a company that is literally saying we're helping build the parallel economy. Boom. Yeah. Right. That's what Black Wall Street was. And it it was working. The problem is they came in, they burned it down. So um, I am actively working to help build the parallel economy. And at the same time, I know the history of how these things work, right? So so say, but but that doesn't mean you don't do what's right because it's right. Um, the uh, you you absolutely do um, but they're fighting reality and you have to say okay they're fighting reality I'm not and I know that I'm doing this by faith right this this a, the world is a covenant world is built on covenants and of covenants so you keep covenant by faith. We is we are justified by faith individually. We're corporately justified by faith. If there's any justification that needs to happen, it, it's by faith. Um, that's how covenants work. And um, I think this is the this is the error. Um, I, I think we'll get this. We'll talk the theology another time. The I think the. Uh, what you about to say? So you have what you about to, uh, what you about to say? <laughs> Come on, spill it. You can't do that to me. You know you don't do that here. Yeah. No, I know. So I think I I think you you see this a lot in the the um, arguments between Baptists and Pado Baptists, where they look at each other and they're like, "Look, we both agree that we're justified by faith, by faith alone, right? We're all evangelical Protestants, and um, and then." As soon as you start talking about corporate justification, you've got one group that denies it, that it's a thing. Right. Um, and another group that says, no, it's, it's a thing, um, but it's by works. <laughs> like our, you know, our individual justification is by faith, but then our corporate right. justification is somehow by works. Other people deny that there is such thing as corporate justification and so we only we end up doing it, saying it's by works because it's invisible, right? We don't see the the corporate justification as a as something that God is doing. And so because of that, our our default because of the heart of man, because of the the um, the dust of Adam that flows in our veins, we will try and justify ourselves by works if we're not aware of the of the gospel bringing a corporate justification by faith and um so mm. uh because is I that think, is that because is that because we don't know how theology or how the how biblical doctrine works in the civil realm so we've separated we've had this dichotomy between yeah, the two so much that we have no way of seeing how these two work together actually right that you can have that that an institution um can have a jurisdiction that it, it, it is required to be faithful in, you know? And so as a family, is my family, it, can my family be justified before the Lord would say, well, yeah, of course. Right. Is it justified by works? No, absolutely not. Covenants aren't kept that way. It's a covenant. Justification is by faith and it's a covenant um, because it's mm -hmm. a covenant justification. Right. So it's a, is my family it, um so well, that's first corinthians thing. that's first corinthians 7 right yeah that's first corinthians. 
and then what is the job of the institution? The job of the institution is to imitate Christ, right? That's always, that's the other thing is be, is imitate Jesus. Um, what it, G- Jesus is the husband of husbands. You know, he's the, he's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the husband of husbands. Um, the, he, and in, in first Corinthians, when it says the father is the head of the son, um, the husband is the head of the wife, uh, and Christ is the head of the, uh, it, and then Christ is the head of man, right? right? It sets up three different relationships. One of them, Jesus is the head, and one of them, Jesus is the subject. And then it says, and then the husband, so the husband and the wife both have Jesus to imitate at, in the relationship of husband and wife, where you've got a covenant head and a covenant subject. Um it's Jesus is a covenant head. Jesus is also a covenant subject. And so mm-hmm. Paul is laying out how Jesus is the one that we imitate no matter where we are in the covenant relationship. No, ma- no matter which Master, role servant, we hold. Child, yeah. mom, dad. Yeah. yeah. Jesus has been them all because he is the perfect human. He's the one that we imitate, right? He We're made in wow. the image of God. He's the... So, um, Why haven't I put this together so well before? Oh, it's so good. He's been them all. It's all the it's and it, but it's right there in the details. What we want to do because of our Gnostic modernism, what we do is we want to say we want to stack them all from top to bottom, right? Where when they're being laid out side by side, we then rearrange them from what Paul actually gives us, and we want to stack them top to bottom and say, Father, Jesus, husband wife as if that's the but that's not i mean um that is literally not what he says he gives three separate relationships side by side um and then and the it's in the section where he's talking about um imitate christ (laughs) and so he says husbands and wives are both you, you have jesus is your model for how to be good whether good at your role whether you're the the covenant head or the covenant subject um and so we we have to we embrace covenants by faith we keep covenant by faith it's not by works um and the the works always flow out of the covenant you know the covenant faithfulness always flows out of the of the faith so and whether it's our corporate justification whether it's the whatever institution it is that is standing before the lord whether it's our individual justification, um, it's the justification of our children, whatever it is, it's always by faith um, that we are, th- that, that covenants are kept. And so. Can I jump uh, in right here real and, quick? And, and, I so just, never I, by works. So there's never anything that we can boast about. It's always something that at the end of the day, we say thank you for top to bottom. I've, I've been living that comment for since you know we talked about the generosity this is the kind of world that is overflow is an overflow of trinitarian love right that's what kind of world we live in i've been using that since the other thing that ever since i've read jay gresham machin on what is faith um one of the questions that i'm asking myself now is um what does faith look like in this situation right right because yeah what is the promise that i have here yeah and then and then, so when you go and you read the Hall of Faith, you got to see that 
having faith did something. It was a reaction, right, to having it. Like, it's like, so um, you believe God, God gives you that faith, and then you operate on that. You do the thing that faith requires, right? So we think that these two are separate in one way or another, but they're not. Having faith operates, right? James says, um, you say you have faith, but then you don't have any works, right? And I'll show right. you my faith by my works, right? And it's this thing where now I'm asking myself, okay, what does faith look like in the situation? And depending on what situation it is, it always looks different for kind of everybody else, but you're operating within the promises of God doing what is required of you to, and how you should be act. So virtue, right? What does faith look like standing in virtue? Well, sometimes it's not putting on a mask. Sometimes it's going out and singing Psalms, right? That's what faith looks like, right? It, um, if faith looks like taking your son up to the mountain to kill him, right? <laughs> That's what faith looks like. Yeah. And because so you've got the, knowing that God raises the dead. Right. Right. And so it's always being obedient in the moment to what God has required of you like that. And that's why everything is operating in faith. Well, what does faith look like to be a civil magistrate? Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, What I, I, there's a, you know, I, I think a lot about um, the, the, the number of times that in the moment, a faithful servant of the Lord um, looks like he failed, but mm. then it turns out that he didn't. So Polycarp, um, Polycarp, Athanasius, lost. <laughs> yeah, Athanasius lost. Poly, Polycarp um, was he? He was burned at the stake. Yeah, but he, but the he actually collapsed the, the Roman Empire. Like that section of the Roman Empire didn't survive killing Polycarp. Mm. Um, Alcuin, I think, is a really good example. So he he was brought on by Charlemagne as an advisor, and he was the one who established um, Christian schools all throughout the empire that Charlemagne paid for. Charlemagne said, uh, um, "As a Christian emperor, I should be I, I should want an educated populace, as many people being able to read the Bible as possible, because who knows where our best pastors are going to come from." Charlemagne also. Um, used to conquer people and say, uh, you can either uh, be baptized or die, right? Those are your options. Alcuin um, advised him against it, you know, a, a number of times and tried to get him to stop. And he never did. Alcuin failed. The letters that Alcuin wrote, though, ended up being uh becoming central to the argument against that in English law. Right? So so the reason um so religious freedom in David English Fowler's law, gonna love that <laughs> the the the, uh, the letters to Charlemagne w- um were entered into the argument for religious freedom. Right. So for the the uh that you don't that you can be a non-baptized citizen um that so uh that is uh so he won right so he so because theologically he was right he never he lost the political argument in his day um but then when alfred goes to um, put together his law code he enters in alcuin's um alcuin's advice in as an argument for why he is establishing 
religious freedom. So, which, which meant that, um, the, you had, uh, when, you know, when he defeated the pagans, he gave them the option of you, you can, you can stay if you want to get baptized or you can go, right. You're not going to, you're not going to stay here because you have been, you've been trying to undermine, um, this Christian, Christian kingdom. Um, but I'm not going to kill you, right. Because someday your kids are going to get saved, which is exactly what happened, right. So you end up, so with, with some of them actually choosing, well, actually, a king like this, I, if I could get baptized and have a king like this, that's way better than going back to the Viking tyranny. Um, so if the, my options are this man, Alfred, who's a good king, um, all I have to do is be baptized and then I could, and he'll, he will, he will accept me as a full citizen. Um, uh, the, uh, the, so you, you have this amazing moment that, well, it's not exactly that clean, though, because within less than a hundred years, all of the people that were baptized by force were the ones that argue that Charlemagne um, should be considered a saint. <laughs> so, like the children and grandchildren of the forced baptisms by Charlemagne are the ones that want to make sure that he's considered a hero that he is because their life was so significantly changed because he didn't just say, Hey, get Stockholm syndrome. It's just right? Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> so they got baptized and then he paid to make sure their children got an education. Um, if any of them wanted to be lawyers, he made sure that they could become lawyers. Like he, so he, if you were his, if you got baptized, then he basically considered you like one of his own children and made sure uh, we don't have it. We don't have a, co we don't have a cosmology in which a, a good man can have an error in thinking like that. But because he actually is enacting the love of Christ that he can, say hey get baptized or else they say okay i'll get baptized and he said welcome to the family you have all the rights of every single person even though it was under duress that they chose to join the family i mean we don't have like i don't think we we don't have that sort of um understanding we don't we don't have a cosmology that could support that kind of weight um so that their that their children and grandchildren are writing po poetry in praise of Charlemagne, um, uh, but I just Alcuin, think it sounds like baptism works. That's all I heard. Baptism works. That's well, baptism always, think. baptism yeah. always works by faith. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So, so Jason, I, I, I want to. I got to run here in a second, and I don't want to because it's still getting to the point where I know it's about to get really, really good, but. Um, you started talking about how our whole American system, we don't even know, we think we're living in a capitalistic free market. We are not, we are not in any way, like it's not, it, there's still parts of it that can work and we got some operation to move, but <clears throat> this is, you know, this, this system is really tainted. Um, and yeah. we don't know to what degree, but it really is. The, by the grace of God, the world in reality still 
reality is unex- is unavoidable, right? Like you, you're going right. to bump into it. But when you have something like this, that the institutions are still driving and of, of communism is inside of our institutions at a very real way where it's just common. Now we've grown up underneath yeah. that type of environment that we, the best freedom that we can think of is the Reagan years. Right. right. Like that's the, right. That's, and, that's what we think. Oh, the, you know, and there was actually some rolling back uh, in good ways of some things during the Reagan years. You also had the expansion of the military and the powers of the, of the CIA in bad ways at the same right. time. And we don't live in this, um, both, you can't, we, we want to blame everything on the president one way or the other That's all right. the time. And we actually don't live in that kind of system. So you can have um, a good man pushing things in the right way and bad things happen. Um, you can also have somebody that is a good man that doesn't get certain things. And so um, the expansion of, he, he knew to fight, the USSR, you had to expand the military. Um, there's no plan put in place to de-escalate right. once you won. And that is still with us to this day. That's a problem. So how, how do we, how do we what get do we out do? of it? Okay, we, yeah, so we got education. So what do we, so how do yeah, we get out so, of this? Because so the, you got to break I the mean, system. The, an important part is you got to, we, you got to raise up the next generation um well right so who do you have a responsibility to uh to help understand what virtue is what um and to, to make those distinctions in wisdom between you know craft and virtue uh can can somebody if 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 you've got somebody that's really good at their craft um but they're not teaching virtue for hundreds of years, this is what classical education was about, right? You read Homer because he's, you, you know, the three greatest poets in history. He's one of the three greatest poets. Um, you've got David, Homer, and Shakespeare, you know, three greatest poets of, of history. And um, I, I don't think, I don't think there's, I don't think you can make an argument. You could maybe put Dante in there. Um, at, but the, so you've got these greatest poets of history and Homer is one of them and he's a pagan and we used to study him for uh and discuss virtue what which what what parts of this are craft and which parts of this are virtue how do we and and so from a young age you were practicing pulling uh pu- pulling apart with your imagination um virtue and beauty and understanding the relationship between them and and you know you've got this great the the force of homeric poetry is undeniable right when you learn to read poetry and then you go read homer it's undeniable the force of his poetry the question is always what's the argument is hector the good guy is achilles the good guy are either of them good guys are they bad guys what or are they mixed characters what's the virtue what's the what's the what's the true virtue what's the false virtue what's the lies they're telling themselves um that's how we that's how we learn to see um to identify the time that we're in so we know what the virtue is is by exercising our the our imagination throughout our lives 
with the use of fiction, poetry, history, um, and and then discussing it with other you know men and women, um, and and exercising our the imagination towards virtue. That used to be what an education was, you know, it was about. Well, let's start giving that to our kids again, right? And so, well, we're doing. We gotta, we gotta doing get it ourselves. <laughs> It's not we got to give it Jason. to our kids, gotta, right? So it's just so that's that I think is really, really at the heart and the center. Um, I, I'm I've been meeting with a, a a local master teacher to to talk about this stuff um, and just say, okay, what does it take to just say, you know. Um, get get as many people this education as we can right because you so you've, you've got these master teachers that have gone out and done the work and now they're ready to give the education but we don't we, we're uh, our systems are still catching up so so that's that's at the heart of it but then, man here's the other thing um i was uh chrysostom he says that uh if you if you want to overcome your enemy, join yourself to them. You are yeast. Yeast is no good if it is not joined to the loaf. All right. So we need businesses. We need men that say, "I'm starting a business. Let's charge in. Let's do this." He, um, talking to a gentleman last night who has a dog training business, so passionate about it. How do I? How do we learn to 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 train dogs like Christians and um, think like Christians about dog training. And it was, so, I was such, such a fun conversation. Um, you, you see uh, folks charging in, but I, so I was in uh, New York over the weekend and just searched um, live poetry. Right. We, and so we, Marcus and I bounced through a bunch of places trying to find some live poetry um, the only place that normally does live poetry was renting itself out for a uh, uh, drag show when we showed up, which was funny because Marcus and I walked into a drag show. That was really funny. Uh, <laughs> it was it was the the poetry uh, poetry club. Chiasm, chiasm. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but we found one um, place that didn't have any live poetry going on at the time but it was uh up in the bronx um and it was cool bookshop uh had, had a and it was a, a black owned you know black neighborhood and so a lot of you know um i i picked up a cool uh august wilson um to complete my august wilson collection i think i've got all of his stuff now he's a great great playwright um great screenwriter um and uh uh so and I, and but Marcus, he he walked around, and so I go straight to the poetry section every time, right? And go go through it. He walked around, and he's like, "There's no business books here." I said that they need business books here. This neighborhood needs business books, right? And Marcus is absolutely right, right? Um, if you've seen the the Wu Tang Chronicles, the yeah. the thing that made the difference for the Wu-Tang was you had Riza and then his brother, his brother was a janitor on wall street and he would hurry to get his work done. And he would spend the last hour of his shift uh, reading in the, the reading the business books that were on, that were all throughout this wall street high rise. And so he gave himself um, 
through in in his overnight you know to, uh, overnight uh, while he was janitoring he would be vacuuming and reading business books right he, he gave himself a business education so that's so when he came back to Riza and Riza said hey we're going to start a super group um, he said no we're going to own a label we're going to own the IP we're going to own everything he said and I can do it because now he understood how business works that and that's the that was the difference maker. And Marcus was absolutely right. You, the biggest bookstore in the Bronx has does not have a business section. That's not good for that neighborhood. That um, and so, hey, you, you know, you start just... saying, let's get into the, we we start a business, we run it like Christians, and then we get we are free, generous with our business knowledge to other Christians to whoever wants it and say here's how this is and and just and we're clear like we get this this is this is biblical business model. We're doing this because here's what the Bible says. We join ourselves um, to the the current um, business sector, which is running on the wrong principles, and try and live according to the right principles, run our businesses according to the right principles, and trust that reality, in reality, water flows downhill. You can't magic it uphill. Um, so if we're running according to business practices, then it'll work biblical practices. It'll, it'll work. And then, then what you, we're in a yeah, position what you to get... say, let's move away from fascism or, you know, we move away from fascism because it's not working the way that it is over here. So you, you get a Joseph, then it gets in the system. It's like, okay, yeah, here's what we're going to yeah. do. And he says, and the word problem is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, this I when you're this is what was missed, I think, in the conversation about Crowder. And everybody was so disappointed that Crowder would record a telephone conversation that that became the most important thing. And it it wasn't the most important thing. And he and I, yeah. listen, don't get me wrong, he was wrong. And he shouldn't have did that. That was absolutely wrong. Um, but so was Moses killing the the Egyptian that was trying to persecute God's people. He was wrong. Right. Like the yeah. FBI was wrong to be listening on Martin Luther King. Right. But what did he say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm sorry. What is he doing with how many women? I'm sorry. What? Now yeah. you're wrong, but don't don't miss that. There's something bigger going on here. And so when he goes after the Daily Wire, he's making the case that the system is meant to operate a particular type of way. And if we keep operating underneath that structure and that system, we are going to lose. And it's the right. same way that the company, like all, all these, you know, this is why I'm asking, like, while you're doing, like you're creating business, I said, grab some cows and some chickens. But that really is the answer, though. It's like, if you're good at, you know, farming, then farm. Yeah, don't farm. sell to the government, right? Like, what, what do you do? Um, what did Gideon do? He hid while he was, you know. Doing his thing, he's like, let me just go threshing. tread this yeah, out yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Threshing and, and let nobody see what I'm doing. Go do your thing and build something great. And then when it's time, you're like, okay, here we go. Uh, yeah. You you have to have, we we need to be the kind of people that can be self-sufficient or skilled in whatever we do um, so that, you know, we can have the ear of the king or we can get in those positions. Or in the way that American system is set up, that we can have a culture that is self-sufficient. Right. right. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we don't need the ear of the king here. 
in the right. same sort of way, right? So right. yet, now we'll see how things go, right? But you know, at this point, that that's not how it works. So, but what's so interesting is like I've been watching um, what Andrew's doing with Red Balloon. Yes, it's been fast. What's been fascinating to me is he he is in a lot of ways he's actually the enemy of Fox News. But oh, they're fascinated yeah. by him, right? They're fascinated by what he's doing. They're giving him all sorts of press, but he is, he is, what he's doing is actually going to undermine them as well, but they can't help but talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, and so I, as you watch it, you think, what is going on? Well, Andrew's good at his job. He loves serving people. You hang out with him for five minutes and you're like, this is a guy that likes people, right? He, he really does. He, he He's looking at people and he's like, man, these people, they need jobs. That would that, that could change their life. What can I do to help? I'm going to throw my resources. I'm going to throw my personality. I'm going to throw my, um, you, you know, my, my Christmas suit wearing joy um, into, into this job of helping people get life-changing job changes. Um, and because he's doing it well and he's doing it to serve people and because it's literally changing people's lives, he's getting all of the press, even from the people that will be undermined by his success. And I think is shifting the conversation um, in significant major ways, even though it's the, it's not, that's not the primary thing that he's doing. The primary thing that he's doing is serving loving people. His neighbor. He, yeah. Uh, loving his neighbor. And he, um, and he's just doing it faithfully and it's, he, and he's doing it as a Christian in public. And, you know, um, I, I think you see this with uh, David Bonson as well. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a Christian in public. There's nobody doubts that but he's really good at his job. He sees the system. He says, I get it. I understand how it works. I know that how to be a Christian in this system, even though the system isn't perfect. So yeah. um, he, he is going to, he never be, complains about the system. He, I like David yeah. Bonson. He not, not once has he complained about systems. Like, do you like the fed? He's like, yeah, you know, I can use it. <laughs> right? he, he just yeah. doesn't complain about the system. There isn't a system that he says he'll be like, okay, this one needs to go there. But he's like, the opportunity is in the individual, not in the system. Like, is yeah. the individual working? Is the individual engaging? Like, there's if if you look at everything you've lost instead of what you currently have, you'll miss it. And he's like, we got a lot of opportunity. We got a lot of yeah. stuff. And people aren't even capitalizing on that. Just get to work and everything else will collapse, right? I think he's he really but, believes that. But he's done the, cr- the craft work of understanding the system, which is going to put him which is putting him into a position or God has put him into a position where he will end up forming the system for the next generation as well. Right. So that's, so um, he's got, and, he's got a school that he does. He teaches economics at, right? Like exactly, that's, that's what I'm saying. Right. So he, and that's what we don't, because we don't think long-term. I mean, I, I know I, I, you know, now having raised some teenagers and been one myself, one of the things, um, that the proverb says is that uh, the lazy man says there's a lion at the door. There, there's a snake yeah, on the floor. A, there's a, yep. a, or there's a lion in the street. There's a snake, snake at the, the street, door. Yep. 
uh, line in the street. Um, there's always a reason besides my own you know, inabilities or lack of craft or lack of work, or there's always some other reason for the failure. Um, and uh, you see this in, I mean, you see this a lot. Now it's being cur- encouraged. The 1619 project, the BLM project, right? The system, it's the system. You, the system is opposed to you. The system is against you. You can't, right? Um, there's no way for someone like you to learn the system and overcome it. You know, um, that that's a lazy man's excuse. Um, and that is the, the church has fallen into that significantly in the last two generations. The conservative Christian church says, well, the system's not running according to biblical ideals. Well, of course it's not. What what are you what are you doing though with the system that you got? Are you you know is how do you? I, I mean, I I was just this is and this is what's crazy. I was when we were in New York, Marcus and I always we try to find underground comedy clubs, um, and just get a, get our fingers on the pulse of what's going on. And um, man, we found in both of them some of the funniest anti-trans jokes I've ever heard. Just mm. like filled to the brim with it. Anti-cancel culture. They're constant anti-cancel culture jokes. Cancel culture was probably the main target. Um, if you'd say, well, what was the one thing that was held together? Right. Well, they're all talking about cancel culture, making fun of it, mocking it. It's, it, it's not real. It, it's the, you've got a, the, the subculture, uh, of the next generation of comics is already fighting it. Um, it's not going to last. Thank forever. you, Dave Chappelle. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. exactly. Well, they, well, they weren't. But <laughs> funniest joke the the funniest comedian was well, interesting. There was one guy. Um, you had some really crass comedians. You always do. They don't get a lot of laughs. They're um, the funniest guy, completely clean, beginning to end. He had the biggest laughs and you didn't walk away saying like, wait, you walked away saying, wait, did he ever swear? He wasn't ever, he wasn't ever crass. He wasn't be, but you didn't notice because he was so good at his craft, right? He had developed, he had worked on his craft, but another guy who was, he, he had a, he had a couple of pedophile jokes that were really funny, you know, like um, making, making fun of how, how we, uh, how pedophilia is becoming like not not as gross to people and he was making fun of that but he had one joke where he was like oh yeah i'm dating a girl who's gender fluid means that she wakes up in the morning and sometimes she's a girl other times she wakes up and identifies as a guy which means sometimes i get to hit her (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) oh that's brutal it's so brutal, oh. but you know, like that's a funny joke making fun of, yeah, just that you know, because because everybody everybody goes, you know that you it doesn't matter if she puts on right. jeans and cuts her hair short, you don't get to hit her like that's not allowed. Right, right. <laughs> so right. like, where it's like it, that's not how it works, but he knows that's not how it works, and that's what makes it funny. He, um, but the the 
the cancel culture has now become the man that the counterculture is already resisting. Right. So interesting, right. It's a huge huge opportunity for the Christians that have, I mean, the the number of people that I've talked to now is, it's almost to double digits. The number of people that I've talked to in the artistic communities that have said, well, you had guys like Crowder and Jordan Peterson and um, who I know is not a Christian, but is on the, are resisting the attempts to make everybody ignore reality yeah, and, and have ended up becoming a Christian because of it. Yeah. Like literally gone and checked out churches because of Jordan Peterson and have said, I think I'm maybe I'm becoming a Christian. I'm going to go find out and then get saved. Like that's happening now. All we have to do is be willing to keep insisting that reality is reality, that virtue is virtue and that those things are not up for grabs. I mean, it's, it's such a small order of the day. (laughs) You know, we were supposed to be talking about CS Lewis and the, um, introduction to um um paradise lost, paradise yeah, lost from paradise george lost. milton yeah and we kind of did but we didn't but yeah, part didn't. when you're talking about you're talking about craft that's one of the things that as i i'm halfway through the book now c.s lewis carved after you look at the stuff that's going on with the grammys and that artists are saying the only thing that gets through is shock value so you shock value as much as you can to get the attention to bring people over. And what you start realizing is that people get so used to the shock that you got to raise the value up a little higher yep. and a little higher. And then when other artists see that this works, everybody jumps in to do that. And so we were like, why are, why all of a sudden everybody's swearing in R&B? Well, right. it was a shock. You know, it's like they didn't used to do that. That was like nobody wants to yeah. hear swear words in R&B. Shock value, shock value, shock value. Now people got numb to it. Now they got to have it in every three words that they say instead of every 15 or a hook, right? And so it just gets keeps going up. It's because, and then no one works on their craft anymore. They only figure out what is a new way to shock, right? Yep. And when I was reading C.S. Lewis, me and my wife were reading it last night, Paradise Lost. He starts breaking down and reminding me the beauty again of a person who is skilled to talk or skilled yeah. to communicate in their own genre and what that does to the individual i can't remember the line perfectly but he he basically says like it's one soul rescuing another soul and right and i was and like oh the, man that, that's the art where i was trying when i'm talking to artists to say your job is to connect with a human connect with you as the image of god your job is to create art that connects your image of god to their image of god so that they're reminded of the image of God within them. But that's that's what that's what good art does and then encourages them towards goodness and beauty and and virtue and you know um by making it beautiful. But it's but if you don't connect, right? If you don't create art that connects, then it it doesn't matter, right? It it doesn't matter um you know, you could create art that helps people ask the right questions. You don't have to create art that gives answers all the time. Create art that just helps them ask the right questions. But you gotta connect, and that's a craft issue, right? You and don't not just with shock. Not, yeah, not just. Well, shock doesn't even really connect. I mean, that's one of the things C.S. Lewis says in the around right? a little bit, but it doesn't. 
yeah, um, you know, uh, there's a really great, um, uh, we, you know, we're, we're going to be reading this year. We're, we're reading, uh, um, the rhyme of the ancient mariner and, uh, the author of the rhyme of the ancient mariner has a, a really great essay on the use of shock value. Um, but he, he just says, you know, in a, in a Christian context, it's, it's limited. It's a, you have a very limited use of shock value. Um, because it, the, because it doesn't, because it, unless you follow it up with something that actually connects, right. You it rises to the level, up. right? Yeah. 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 But then you have to actually follow that with something that connects with them or it's not of any use. Um, yeah. and, which is, um, yeah, that that's what Lewis says now. the same thing. He says the same thing in, in 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 Paradise Lost. It's funny. I do need to read this because I need to finish reading Milton's Paradise Lost. But I started reading Paradise Lost, and realized I don't have the faculties to really grasp this, right? And Lewis yeah. is coming in and he's making me fall in love with the poetry again and the art of it, and you know, um, its own context and how it lives its own context. And he he. It, what we've done in our culture is, is because of egalitarianism, everything's the same. Yeah. And what Lewis is doing in this book is saying everything is actually in its own category, in its own culture, in its own world. And it's different and it's at different levels and it needs to be treated as such. He, so he gives a metaphysical breakdown of poetry and poems and writing and puts Milton in that same sort of metaphysic. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And all of a sudden, it's like he did one of those Tony Stark things where he has his little room where he's got this little ball and he blows it out and you see all the pieces inside of it. And he's that's what. And, and in the first yeah. couple of chapters, Lewis blows it out poetry. Have you gotten to the chapter called Hierarchy yet? Oh, okay, next week. Next week, we, I'll talk about that chapter. That it's. I mean, I think it's just. He just says, "Here, let me tell you everything that's wrong with the modern world." Right? Okay, we'll do that next week because we're still hitting hierarchy. I just, I feel like yeah. we just need to pound it. And so I just got to this point where I'm just, I start marinating on. I I can't listen to music right now. I can't. I got. I only listen to old stuff. You know. I um. I, so Lewis just he kind of made me feel like I wanted to listen to music again. I wanted to enjoy poetry again you know i want to go find some old yeah. hip-hop where people were actually writing you know and communicating in the 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 turn of a phrase was valuable because one of the things he does is like everybody in a modern era looks for a line he's like right. but poetry isn't just a line it's actually a paragraph it's in a hole he's like, he's like trying to find a line in poetry is like finding a stone in a the cathedral right <laughs> the cathedral is the thing you see right um and so it's it's so good to get into that go ahead and then I got to run. We, we don't get symphonies anymore. We don't get cathedrals anymore. We because we don't have a, a cosmology that can support, and we don't get epic poetry anymore, right? Milton is the cathedral of poetry. You don't mm. get that though because we don't have a cosmology that can support it, that can justify its existence. It looks like waste to us, um, and so we get and i mean and i listen to a lot of you're right music it, does. Yeah, it does two three minutes three minute songs four minute songs um because those have a place but we don't have 
to sit down and try and listen through a whole symphony um, feels like a waste of time, right? Because we don't have a cosmology that is a symphony, so it can justify it. We don't have a cosmology that is a uh, th- that that is an epic poem. That history is an epic poem, and so we can justify the investment that it takes and we don't have a cosmology that is a cathedral that can justify us building one um so it's such a yeah you you're you're so right about that yeah this goes back to our conversation on on communism and socialism we are we have been in the waters and in the air and the culture of an idea that has tried to reshape man and says he doesn't these aren't things that he needs these aren't things that make him. This is why certain things have to be outlawed, um, you know, and have to be say, yeah, we can't have that. Private education can't have that because right. those things make a certain type of human, right? A person that yeah. sits down and enjoys and, and embraces a symphony and um, and figures out how to write intelligently so that they don't have to use swear words, they don't have to use shock value, or they create a cathedral in their dialogue or their art so that you see it as a whole. Like that's a different type of person. Yep. And it makes and different kinds of people. Makes different kinds of people. Somebody that can smoke an entire cigar and not just need the cigarette, right? The cigarette <laughs> is the way of of getting you're trying to get to the use of tobacco um, as quick as possible, make it useful and just get the <laughs> get the nicotine in nicotine you as quick hit. as possible. Rather yeah. than thinking of the gift of a cigar and you know, I like I I when I smoke a cigar, I know I'm talking too much and not listening enough. Cause it, if, if it goes out, <laughs> mm. the cigar is you, you sit down with, with someone for a conversation and it will tell you if you're, if you're dominating the conversation and not listening enough because it goes out and you have, if I have to relight it, then I'm say to myself, all right, you're talking too much. Open up your ears, ask some questions um, that there's this Learn entire something. Learn something, yeah. That you got, you got images of God. You're sitting with images of God. What are you doing? Uh, dominating the conversation. Ask some questions. So, um, it's a different. It's a it's a, a complete different way of existing in the world. Um, that says, "What am I here for?" Did, did you read that quote from uh, Cyril that I sent you? Did you see that? No, I didn't. Uh, it's, uh, uh, oh no, it's a Theodoret, Theodoret of Cyrus. Um, he said, I got it. He was, it's in a, this, he's exchanging letters with a, um, a guy who's arguing against the, uh, against, um, against. Oh yeah. I, could, I couldn't read it well. Cause the text <laughs> got blurry. He, he says, mark another manifestation of his project providence. The body provides the natural couch of the buttocks so that you can make a seat out of the ground or a stone and not be hurt by sitting on bare limbs. You are ungrateful, notwithstanding. You fail to recognize the gifts uh, and rave and rant against the wisdom that makes such provision for you. <laughs> he's, he's arguing with an atheist, and, the athe- and he says to the atheist, "What have you realized that you're sitting on your butt? You're not... And your butt is not like an elbow. That'd be uncomfortable. God made it so that you can turn anything into a couch because you got a cushion on your rear end. 
So the, your argument against God is simply ungratefulness. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I don't know how an, a, an atheist, I was telling my wife, like an atheist has to work super hard at being right. an atheist. It really is and a the, lot of work because yeah. the world is overflowing with, with generosity. So I was like, when he gets married, like, you know, <laughs> you know, if yeah. he sees a beautiful woman, like how, how does he suppress all of that? Yeah. It takes an enormous amount of imaginative discipline to suppress the knowledge of God. That um, is worse but, than constipation. Like, that's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, that's why they have to be so angry. <laughs> totally. When you it's literally are, you're, and, and Theodore's point is you're literally sitting on an argument for God's kindness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No matter where your you eyes, sit, yeah, all of it. Your, your rear yeah. end is an argument for God's kindness because oh, man, so imagine good. if your rear end was like elbows, that'd be uncomfortable. Um, but that's like where, your head. That, yeah, exactly. This is the that that this is why I always point people to the ethics of Elfland, right? That if you because you can imagine your rear end like elbows, you can't imagine murder being good. But you can't imagine your rear end being like elbows, and that makes you say thank you <laughs> for the way yeah. for for what reality is like. Um, or if if you can imagine something better, uh, you know, if you if 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 you could imagine a world where I mean, this is what makes I I I know Martin Luther King Jr. had his problems, but the "I Have a Dream" speech is a is a masterpiece of rhetoric because he understands that we've got an imagination problem. Imagine a world this way. Mm-hmm. If you can, you start to say, you start to desire it because a world that's, that's better right. when you, when you begin imagining it, you start to desire it. I and mean, that's what good art should do. It connects with it, with other people. And then it influences their imagination to say the world could be a better place, which influences your desires. Right. So that's the, or, you know, what a good tragedy does. You imagine yourself in the place of Hamlet making that's making the sort of decision that you make and you say that he makes and you say, Oh, what if I stopped making my decisions out of bitterness? (laughs) (laughs) What would that look like? Oh, that'd be great. So, I got to run, man. That's so good. I hate to leave because I know it's just now getting good. All right. We'll talk about (laughs) this next week. Yeah. Talk about hierarchy next week. Hierarchy next week. All right, man.